um, for bringing um, that word for us today. Um, I want to introduce our guest speaker. Um, most of you know Fumi Ojitayo uh, because he did a summer internship at Incarnation uh, last summer, the summer before last, I should say. And um, and uh, so so many of you know him well and have heard him preach many times. Uh, Fumi is a um, is a deacon. Uh, in the Baptist Church, and uh, a good friend and brother of this community, and we look forward to hearing uh, the word through him again this morning. So uh, we welcome you, Fumi. It is a joy and a delight to be with you all this morning, um, even if separated. Thank you uh, for having me. Thank you for the invitation, Pastor Matt and uh, Pastor John. And actually, Dr. Sarah already preached my whole sermon, so we could all just wrap up right now. And we're already home, so we're not going home, but we could all go and eat, which I see you, Scott and Michelle. Um, <laughs> but really, it is, it is such a, a delight to be with you, and I, I am glad uh, once again to fellowship with you. Um, and I really do miss you all. I miss seeing you. I miss uh, hugging you and fellowshiping, and I know you all do, do as well. But this morning, I want to encourage you from the word of God. Um, and as we've heard already from Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the gathering and why the assembly of the body is so important, so critical um, to the life of the Christian, to each and every one of us. Uh, so if you have your copy of God's word, um, please open again to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, and you've already heard it uh, read to your hearing. So I'm not gonna read it again. I want to tell you that for the brief moment um, that we have together this morning, I'd like to speak from this text on the topic, some assembly required, some assembly required. Now, we don't, I don't think there's an Ikea here in the South. So I'm from, from North, I'm from New York. And there were this, it was Swedish, right? I think it's Swedish, right, Michelle? Yeah, so there's a Swedish store and they have like Swedish names for like tables and and desks and bookcases. But the, the weird thing, wherever you go to buy whatever it is you need, furniture, you have to assemble, you have to put it together. So there's often a sign in there that says, some assembly required. And so I borrow, borrow that or inspiration from that um, to talk about this text this morning. Um, again, some assembly required. Please bow with me, just a quick word of prayer. Father Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather, um, even if virtually, to uh, do a deep dive into your word. Thank you for your word, that it is life. Thank you for your word, because indeed it is water to a thirsty and dry soul. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you would fill us up, fill us up in all of everything that we need uh, with yourself. Um, because we know that indeed you have given us your of yourself and you've given us life through your word, O oh God. Once you quicken every deadness in us, O oh God, and encourage us, O oh Lord, uh, um, even uh, through the scriptures. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will remove me from the equation, that you will be exalted and magnified in every way. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will give me clarity of mind, concision of speech, and conviction of heart even as I proclaim the gospel unto your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, Pastor Taylor told me I only have 20 minutes. 
I don't know how to preach for 20 minutes. So it's a hard stop. If I go mute my video, all my sound goes mute, you can blame it on Pastor Taylor, okay? And you know, we'll just, we'll finish it next time I see you guys, okay? I'd never do that to you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, and I, I know we've all been talking about the coronavirus of late, and uh, of course the fear of the epidemic has, has gripped the attention of the global community. Um, but I learned recently of an even more dangerous contagion. It's an epidemic called Morbus Sabbaticus. In layman's terms, it is known as Sunday morning sickness. Now, the symptoms of this sickness are really strange. Uh, it, it never interferes with the appetite or the eyes. The Sunday newspaper can be read with no pain. Watching television actually seems to help the victim. The only symptom is that you can't get up and go to church. And strangely enough, you usually don't have any symptoms at all throughout Saturday. It only hits on the morning of the next day. But thankfully, the ailment never lasts more than 24 hours. About the time Sunday morning service is over, the patient miraculously starts to feel better. And Monday morning, the patient is able to get up and go to work. Uh, but unfortunately, the illness has a way of striking again the next Sunday. And after a few weekly attacks, it may become chronic. I want to talk to any sufferer of Morbus Sabbaticus this morning. I bring you good news because the great physician is right there in the room with you. And the anointing for healing is in the house. He who has more medicine in the hem of his garment than all the Walgreens in the world is here to heal you and deliver you once and for all from the dreaded disease that can strike a death blow to your faith walk with Christ Jesus. So at the onset, let me clarify that while I understand that our present predicament with this pandemic has caused us to rely on technology in our assembly, it is not the ideal. And my goal this morning is not to wade into the debate whether Zooming or live streaming constitutes the church gathered, but I will state simply that this season has demanded a level of ecclesial adaptability that many of us did not envision before. If anything, this season has made me more convinced of the great need for us to gather and not forsake the assembly. In other words, this season is not an excuse to miss church. Instead, we ought to be looking for all the reasons we should come together as a church to receive God's gift of technology in the season with gratitude and to yearn longingly for the sweet glories of assembly in person again. And perhaps in his mysterious providence, one of God's purposes for this time is to help us treasure the reality that a church is a gathering. And as we see here in our text this morning, there are four biblical reasons why you and I should regularly assemble with other believers in the local church. And, and then let me give it to you up front before I lose you to your pot roast or Sunday game day highlights in the next browser. The first is your confession of faith requires assembly. Number two, the communion of the saints requires assembly. Number three, the command of scripture 
requires assembly. And finally, fourth, the coming of Christ requires assembly. So first, your confession of faith, your, your confession of salvation requires assembly. As the curtain raises on our text, we, we see the author of Hebrews having culminated his lengthy exposition of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and our present passage functions as both the capstone of that exposition and a transition point leading to the greater rolling exhortation that takes us to the end of the book. After considering the once for all time uh, um, aspect of the gospel in verses 1 through 18, the, the writer now turns his attention to another implication of the gospel in verses 19 through 25. Here, he sums up the theological truth that has occupied him for the most part since chapter 4, including the son's appointment as high priest in his high priestly offering. And then on the basis of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, he calls the readers to hold fast to Christ with three commands that begin with the words, let us. In verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then in verse 23, he says, let us. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then in verse 24, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, the exhortations given by the author here are anchored in the priestly work of Jesus. And the word therefore at the beginning of verse 19 that we see here, right, leads us into several implications that are grounded in this remarkable work of Jesus Christ. No, notice the words here. It says, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Now, now don't rush past that too quickly, or, or you might miss the truly remarkable uh, uh, implications of what Jesus has done for you, right? The, the sanctuary refers to the most holy place in the tabernacle. No one can enter it except the high priest, and, and he only went in there once a year under the strictest supervision, just as Dr. Sarah told us that there was a, a, a curtain, a veil between the most holies of holies and everywhere else in the sanctuary. If anyone besides the high priest entered into that without permission, what, what happened? They died, right? Now, however, on account of Christ's work on the cross, believers can enter into the most holy place with confidence. And this doesn't mean they enter into a physical sanctuary, only that they cannot enter into the very presence of God with confidence in Christ's work. By God's grace, the door to his presence is now wide open. And now some folk have sought to rid Christianity of blood language. They speak only about Jesus's love instead. But, but the blood, as we see here in our text, is integral to to Christian theology. This blood divides the sheep from the goats, but unites those it saves. If we lose the language of the blood, we lose the gospel. As the songwriter says, what can wash away our sin? Nothing 
but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul cleansing blood of the lamb? Are, are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Oh, the blood, the blood. Hebrews shows us that we have access to God precisely because the blood of Jesus has made it possible. I wish I could hear you all right now and get some amens. I, I wish I had a church that can say amen to the blood because without the blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the blood, there is no redemption of sinners. Without the blood, there is no reconciliation of rebels. Without the blood, there is no access to God. And just as the old covenant required blood sacrifice, so too does the new covenant require a blood sacrifice. But the final all sufficient and efficacious blood sacrifice came not through the blood of an animal shed on an altar, but through the blood of God's own son shed on a bloody, gory cross. And because of his perfect and sinless blood, our text says, we now have boldness, boldness to enter the presence of the Almighty, to draw near to God. Man, isn't this an encouragement to you and I? That Jesus Christ's sacrifice is sufficient and final. This, this is the source of our confidence and boldness. And this is precisely the purpose that our writer of Hebrews encourages and emboldens the persecuted brethren to whom he's writing. See further down in verse 25 in your text, how he ties this assurance of confidence of our salvation in the finished work of Christ with the necessary encouragement of fellow believers gathered together in the local assembly. See, see how the preservation of the saints is not only tied to the preservation of the saints in the, uh, or rather how the perseverance of the saints is not only tied to the preservation of the saints in the finished work of Christ, but also to the partnership of the saints. This serves to refute those who would say that church has nothing to do with salvation, that it's just about my personal decisions, it's just about me's and mine. But the fact is that it has everything to do with your salvation. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verse 15, Paul says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and foundation of a building holding it up. If the foundation gives or the pillars fall, the building will not stand. Likewise, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Your faith in the truth of the gospel will not be able to stand without the church in your life. Or as Will and Willeman puts it, the gospel does not make sense without the church that makes it make sense. The confession of salvation requires Christian assembly. Next, the communion of the saints requires assembly. It said, it is said um, in California that the redwood trees are the tallest and oldest trees in the world, right? They stand hundreds of, of feet high, and some of them are said to be over, you know, 2,500 years old. And, and, and you would think 
that this must mean the redwoods have remarkable root systems reaching deep down into the earth, right? But actually, compared to other trees, redwoods have relatively shallow roots. Yet they have stood for centuries because their roots are intertwined and interwoven with each other. So when the winds blow, the redwoods stand because they are linked and locked to each other, holding one another up. That is the way Christians stand against the storms of life that assault our faith in Jesus Christ. We, we hold each other up. The Apostles' Creed refers to this as the communion of the saints. It is the internal disposition and external demonstration of Christian fellowship summarized in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See here the internal disposition. As said earlier, you must set your mind on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ if your faith is to be strong, stable, and secure. But in verse 24, we see also that our text teaches Christians you should also set their minds on one another. And there's a grammatical emphasis that here in the original Greek that denotes continual and repeated action. Literally, the reading is, and let us constantly consider one another. Just as we are to always be thinking about Jesus, we also are to always be thinking about one another. So the idea that I'm thinking about Pastor Taylor, I'm thinking about Dr. Sarah, even as she's now with us today, and praying for her, I'm thinking about Scott Michelle, I'm thinking about EJ and Daniel, I'm thinking about Nicole and Linnea, I'm thinking about you guys. My, my mind is taken up with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thinking about the standards. Well, mostly because Matt is my doctor now, and I have to think about him. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you. And the important point to get from this is that Christian fellowship is primarily, essentially, and ultimately an internal reality. Fundamentally, our fellowship is not geographic, social, organizational, institutional, or programmatic. It is an internal disposition of care. Of, of concern and compassion for one another that results in words, decisions, and actions that express the love of Jesus Christ. The true Christian love will not only lead you to attend and participate in corporate worship, it will also lead you to prayerfully consider the needs and the growth and the concerns of your brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you're not physically together. And that speaks something to our present predicament. And as Dr. Sarah said earlier, to encourage not just the children, but all of us, pick up the phone, talk to each other, FaceTime somebody you haven't seen in a while. Show that you are thinking about them, that you care for them, that their concerns are your concerns. The communion of the saints. And when we see so, it is an internal disposition, but it's also an external demonstration. So after commanding us in verse 24 to consider one another, the verse also says we should do this, to stir up one another to love and good works. The, the church is to be marked by love and good works. However, love and good works are, are not automatic parts of the church life. Every Christian is called to love 
and good works, but you can't fulfill this calling on your own. You need to do what? Stir up love and good works in and through each other. The, the KJV uses the term provoke. The, the New American Standard uses the word stimulate. The NIV uses the word spur. These different terms translate a Greek term that we get in our English term, paroxysm. It refers to a sudden outbreak of sickness, symptoms, or, or spasms, right? Or, or even unrest. A good way we've, we've been able to describe the, the current racial strife in our country is that it's been a paroxysm, right? And usually the, the term has a negative connotation, meaning irritation or exasperation or something literally is blown up as we're seeing in the streets. In fact, the only other time we see the, the term used, the word used in the New Testament, it's used negatively. I, explaining Paul and Barnabas' um, disagreement o over John Mark, whether they should take him on their second missionary journey, in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, it records, and there rose a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. It uses the word there, paroxysm. Right? But while Luke says that paroxysmos caused Paul and Barnabas to separate from one another, our text in verse 25, 24, says that paroxysmos ought to bring Christians together. Yet the, the negative connotation of the term shouldn't be dismissed. It, it, if need be, I submit to you that we should irritate one another to love and good works. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron does what? Sharpens iron. I, even though I can't hear you, let me see you mouth it, okay? <laughs> and one sharpens another. You do not sharpen iron by hugging and caressing and pampering it. No, you sharpen iron by getting another piece of iron and rubbing it the wrong way. Likewise, your true friends are not the people who always agree with you, who co-sign your agenda, who just stay out of your way. Your best friends are the ones who make you better. You need both a supportive arm around you and at times a scolding finger in your face. This is why my wife is my best friend. Her sarcasm cuts deep. Some of you who knows my wife, she knows how to cut to cut me, but she also knows how to encourage me. She knows how to correct me, right? You need, but I, I get the, the, the value of the, the tender love from her and the confrontation of tough love. And this is what we should have in the church. You need to be with brothers and sisters in Christ who think enough of you to stir you up to love and good works. Don't think that church is only about being comfortable you got to feel uncomfortable sometimes. There's some people in church that annoys you, right? Like Pastor Taylor be annoying me sometimes. But I love him because it is, I don't know, some of y'all might have experienced Pastor Taylor's. Like he just be calling you and texting you and he's like, come on, dude, can, can, can I guess? But no, it is that him pursuing you with a, a, a love that's not only comforting, but a love that also corrects. Like Pastor Taylor's pulled me aside sometimes like, hey, brother, there's some things I need to talk to you about. There's a tough love that's part of that. That is a true friend. That is indeed even a true pastor. You know, football, football season is back now. 
Um, it's still weird without all the, you know, the crowd. And then yesterday's game, they should have won that game. Anyway, whatever. Football <laughs> is described as 22 men on a field in desperate need of rest being watched by 22,000 people or 7,000 these days in the stands in desperate need of exercise. The, the sad fact is that most churches operate just like that. But, but corporate worship is not a spectator sport where you simply show up and you receive the ministry of others and you give an offering, you greet a few acquaintances and friends and then you, you, you go home or you turn off your, uh, um, your Zoom and, and then you, you just think and, and you're, you're only uh, um, thinking about, oh, well, how did the service suit my tastes? How did it touch my emotions? How did it meet my needs? Oh, oh, we had some technical difficulties today. I'm never going to that church again, right? But what we know is that corporate worship is three-dimensional, right? God blesses us, and we bless God. Remember Psalm 34? We bless God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. But, but it doesn't stop there. In corporate worship, we also bless one another by saying and doing things that stir up love and good works. Amen? Amen. And then we see also verse 25, the command of scripture requires assembly. Verse 25 teaches that if you are a follower of Christ, your presence and participation in the life of the church are mandatory. Hear me now. It's not optional. It's what? Mandatory. Your presence is mandatory. If you were to ask me for the one verse in scripture that commands you to go to church, I would give you Hebrews 10.25. But the truth is that this verse does not technically command us to go to church. It commands us not to forsake Christian assembly. The, the principle behind this part of the author's exhortation has to do with consistent involvement in the life of the church, rather than just frenetic activity in all the programs of the church. The, the, the purpose of my sermon this morning isn't actually to burden you with guilt for not being at church, you know, five nights a week or calling into all the Zoom meetings and, and doing all that. The, the question instead is whether you are meaningfully engaged in the life of the body on a weekly basis. Are you involved in worship? Are you being educated through the preaching and teaching of God's word? Are you ministering to others and exercising your spiritual gifts? Are you experiencing Christian fellowship? Now, that implies that your presence is not only mandatory, but your participation is mandatory. Note the contrast in verse 25. It's not between showing up and not showing up. It's between not neglecting the meeting, and what? Encouraging one another. The, the text calls for more than just your presence in the meetings of the church. It calls for your participation. Consequently, there, there are those who are forsaking the assembly even though they attend the worship meetings on a regular basis. They, they neglect the meeting when they show up late and leave early. They, they, they neglect the meeting when they get to church and hang out outside rather than coming in, right? They, they neglect the meeting when you show up with a bad attitude. 
they, they forsake the assembly when they're inhospitable, when they're critical and irreverent. They, they neglect the meeting when they spend the service sleeping, walking, talking, or checking the football scores in the other browser. They neglect the meeting when, when what they have on or don't have on distracts others from worship. Uh-oh, not press on too many toes. They, they neglect the meeting when they're filling out an envelope or writing or balancing their, their, their checkbook during prayer, right? Or when we were supposed to be singing the Psalms, they had to go and check on that pot roast or, or, or they were reading something else or checking the new, the Washington Post headlines during the sermon or worse yet, setting up their fantasy league on their phone in the middle of the service. <laughs> I don't mean to step on too many toes. But the idea is that God demands your presence and your participation in the worship meetings of the local church. And unfortunately, many Christians are ecclesiastical hitchhikers. You know, the, the hitchhiker's thumb, right? Yeah. It says, you buy the car, you pay for the repairs and the upkeep and the insurance, fill the car with gas, and I'll ride with you. But if you have an accident, you're on your own. In fact, I may even sue you. Call Morgan & Morgan. That, that, that's the way many people treat the church. They say, you worship, you serve, you give, you pray, you support, and if you do it well enough, I'll come along for the ride. But, but, but don't expect anything from me. And know that if something doesn't suit me, I'll criticize and complain and bail out. My thumb is always out for a better ride. But I submit to you this morning that that is not God's will for you, to be a, a church-hopping hitchhiker. God wants you to be a participating member of the local church. God wants you to be a, a present and participating, participating member of the incarnation. That this time that, that we are gathering, assembling together virtually, doesn't let you off the hook. Doesn't mean that you can take a vacation from church. You're still required. Remember, I said it is mandatory, your presence and your participation. And then finally, we see that the coming of Christ requires assembly. This is my last point, right? I lost track. Okay, this is the last one. All right, we're almost done. Pastor Taylor, how am I doing on time? I'm like way over the 20. Whatever. <laughs> so, of course, the, the application uh, to to regularly attend church meetings is not incorrect from our text. And as I've been saying so far, especially in view of the fact that meaningful engagement in the life of the church takes place in the context of the regular gathering of the local body of believers, right? For that, that we gather around the word and the worship of God. But another form that Christian fellowship can take though is that of spiritual friendships, right? Friendships that, that transcends the boundaries of individual local churches. So I, I think a great example is my relationship with incarnation, 
while technically at this moment, although I look forward to next year when I join you on seven as a member, I'm currently not a member, right? I'm a member at a different church, but yet we have dear friendship, indeed covenant relationships that have formed even outside of our local church assembly of which we are members, right? And in that, these relationships, they enhance our sense of community with the broader body of Christ because we seek to live each day in light of the great day of Christ's return. And that's what we see here, the actual application in the text of what the assembly means. Hebrews, let me just direct your attention quickly to Hebrews chapter three, verse, uh, Hebrews chapter three, verse 12 through 13. It says, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, you may think it is too much to gather with brethren every Sunday, but the Bible says you really need Christian exhortation every day, every day, so that sin does not harden your heart. So flipping back to, to chapter 10 of Hebrews, as we see the day of the Lord's return draw near, we need to meet together as much as possible to exhort, to encourage, to admonish one another, to remain faithful. In fact, the word translated meet together or assembly in verse 25 is only used twice in the New Testament. Here, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul speaks of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Those who expect to meet Christ in heaven ought to be meeting with other Christians on earth. And here's why. The closer we get to the Lord's return, the worse things are going to get for the church in this world. I mean, we already see it. We already see it, even in our culture and our society. The, the New Testament consistently speaks of end-time apostasy among those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 24, verse, verse 12, Jesus said, because the wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will what? Grow cold. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. The end of days are going to be days of great stress and tremendous pressure and hardship and darkness and evil and temptation. That means we need each other more than ever. It will not get easier to be a Christian. <laughs> the, the, the threat against our faith and our love will increase. And God is telling us that we will need all, each other to hold fast to our confession of hope, to our salvation, as you saw in verse 23. And so what we need to do in order to hold fast to this confession of hope, to our salvation, is to meet and to encourage one another and to stir each other up to love. Best believe, brothers and sisters, Lone Ranger Christians will drop like fries in those days, in these last days. The, the preciousness of comforting, of encouraging, of 
uh, of encouraging each other in our lives is felt most when the price of faith is high. I, I can attest to this. This season has been particularly hard one of grief and mourning and, and questioning, and especially when we see, you, you know, the church at large, right, uh, I'm discounting um, that grief or mourning. But then there have been brothers and sisters that have come around me, and I've been blessed by you, church incarnation, that some of you have called me, have reached out to me, right, have come around me with, with love. And you, it, there's been such preciousness of that comfort, of that encouragement to me and my family in these days that you have kept my, my faith strong because we have come together. Now, now some of y'all are looking at me right now. I mean, and not, and you may not know by looking at me that, that, uh, that I, I lift. Like, do you even lift, bro? Yes, Nicole, I do. And, and that's weights too, not, not the thigh and drumstick. I am working I'm losing my COVID-19, yes, I'm getting there. But there was a time that I did CrossFit and I was trying to get swole. I was trying to get swole. So early on in my CrossFit career, the, the, the trainer was pushing me to go hard and we were doing bench presses and he, he looks at me, you know, and I didn't really know what I could lift or nothing. He was like, what can you lift? He asked me what I pressed. I was like, 20. And he said, well, okay, I'm going to start you off with 100. <laughs> so he put two 25-pound plates on either side, and I laid down the branch. And, and I brought down the bar, and I took it up, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I could do this. I can make it. I never lifted really before, but, you know, I got this, so I lifted. And I lifted. But around the third lift, this bar started to lean a little bit. Uh, true story. And I was like, man, what's going on with this, with, the, with this arm right here? Like, it's just so, you know, so I did that about two or three times. And I was like, I'm done, bro. Like, I can't do this no more. The trainer was like, come on, fool me. You, you can do this. You got this. I was like, nah, nah, I can't. I got me a wife and kids. Ain't going to die here today, buddy. Nah, 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 not me. But he was like, no, no, you got this. And then, and then he did something. He did something. He had, he had his two fingers like this. And, he will put it under the bar. I never forget this. He was standing over me, and he started to tap the bar, and it, and it seemed like whenever he tapped the bar, that I I just got a little bit more power. And he will tap the bar, and I and I will keep on pushing. And he will tap the bar, and, and I had no idea it was that strong. And, and he will tap the bar, and and you know what they call that? A spotter. What I'm trying to tell y'all today is that the local church, we are each other spotters. Life may get sometimes. Oh man, I wish I had a church. And we need to spot each other. We need to come alongside to help each other. And you will never know how strong you are spiritually if you don't have other believers who will come alongside you to exhort you, to encourage you, to admonish you. Beloved, forsake not the gathering because in the Christian life, assembly is required. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'll say aloud what, what some of us were saying uh, at home throughout. All right. <laughs> um, well, uh, brothers and sisters, let's, let's uh, gather together in our breakout groups now. And um, I want to uh, just encourage us to have a little conversation on, 
um, how Fumi's message and how Hebrews 10 is challenging you and your understanding of how to be a part of the local church.